Hey, Dealership Fix-It folks. It's Brian with the Dealership Fix-It podcast. Hey, today, episode number 10, I'm going to have Jim Boshin all the way from the wonderful New England area of our great country. He um, definitely has some experience you're going to want to hear about. He's got his own uh, group that uh, definitely has been engaging with anybody that's ever thrown a leg over a motorcycle in the greater Northeast U.S. and far beyond at this point. Uh, he's got some really cool content. It's a place called uh, Old Men That Used to Race. Um, that's how I got exposed to Jim and met him was through there. But turns out he's actually been a 20-plus year parts manager at um, automotive dealerships. So uh, as he and I got talking, I realized there's some really interesting crossovers and things where um, somebody with his experience definitely has something to add to this conversation we're having for uh, for the dealership fix-it. So uh, buckle up, episode 10, or well over an hour, 100 and something minutes, probably closer to two. Hopefully you made the time. Check it out. Hello and welcome to the Dealership Fix-It podcast. This is episode number 10 and I'm Brian. I'm your host on this, my goofy podcast show. I've got uh, yet another special guest gracing me with their presence. Uh, today, Friday evening, I've got all the way from the New England area of this great country, all the way across the country from me, in a whole several time zones away. <laughs> That's as good as an introduction as I know how to do. I've got Jim Bosch in with me. Jim, how are you? Hey, Brian. I'm, it, I'm great. It's, it's um, a little cold up here, but I think it's that way in most of the rest of the country, too. I'm seeing all the goofy videos, right? It's, uh, by the time somebody hears this podcast in the middle of summer, they're going to think, man, that, that sounds silly, but it's 100 degrees out. But right, right. now, everybody's doing their uh, ice, ice cup challenge, whatever it is. They're throwing a hot cup of water over their shoulder and it doesn't hit the ground sort of thing, right? <laughs> yeah, I saw that. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> You throw it up in the air and it turns into snow. <laughs> Maybe what? not so much here, but um, it's, it's uh, really cold. Yeah. <laughs> well, like anybody needs more snow, people that are doing that are just causing themselves more shoveling, in my opinion. But maybe. Absolutely. Maybe they are. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, you and I got talking. I, uh, I think, geez, I don't know when it was, maybe in the fall or something, I started following your, uh, your Facebook group that's gone uh, – I don't know if viral is the right word, but certainly has uh, has gone it, nuts. Yeah, it's it's seen considerable growth. Growth. <laughs> I I had it pretty much when we first started it. Um, it's called Old Men That Used to Race, mm -hmm. and we started it last spring, kind of on a on a whim. Um, I used to ride it, just go to the track, have some fun with a couple of friends, and my wife would take pictures, and we would we would tag the pictures when we posted them on social media and we hashtag old men that used to race. Mm -hmm. And what we found is when we got to the track, we bumped into more old friends that were doing the same thing. Our stories always started out with, Hey, do you remember? And then it, everybody would just end up laughing. You know, you'd have all the old moto stories about all the people you grew up with. And the next thing you know, we are going to, different places and people are coming up to us saying, Hey, 
I'm ready to join your club. <laughs> what what club? You know, better build a clubhouse. <laughs> right. And um, my brother, um, Hank, and my best friend, Dan, had both started getting on my case. We were riding with a couple of other Todd and, and Nico, a couple of other buddies. And they, they all looked at me and said, you know, you got to start a Facebook group. And I said, what are you talking about a Facebook group? No, Facebook group for old men that used to race. It's going to go crazy. I said, no. I put it off for a couple of months. Came to springtime. It was about the time everybody around here had cabin fever. And I'm not sure what Supercross it was, but it was in March. Had it up for a couple of weeks. Checked the members. There was 53 members when I went to bed on a Saturday night. And when I woke up in the morning, there was over 500. <laughs> and what I found out was my, my old friend, Pat Barton, who's um, an old pro up here in New England, had shared it with a few friends. And those few friends liked what they saw. A few pictures started going up. And that was it. My whole phone just kept blowing up that weekend. I must have had, let's see, by the end of the first week, we we're up to 800 members. And then it just kept growing and growing. And as of today, we're now up to 1,500 members. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a community up here. You That's, know? And, um, is that when you've got to go in and probably approve everybody that asks, right? That somebody that check, checks the box to join, then it goes to one of you or your, your team that has to go and approve them, right? And it's right. You're having to touch every single person. It probably accentuates the fact that, like, this is going nuts. We all have jobs to do. Not, right. This isn't supposed to be a job. Well, when it initially started, it was a public group. So everybody could just, you know, if you knew somebody that you thought would be in it, they just add them. And that was great. We've gotten some really cool people in it. Um, then we closed it so that, that outsiders couldn't really see what we were posting about. You had to be in the group to see the posts. Um, I started worrying about copyrights on pictures and stuff like that if, if somebody outside yeah. saw them. So it was the right thing to do. And, and lately, I've got the, the five guys, myself included, that started it. Two or three more of my friends. I made them all administrators. And I said, guys, this was your idea just as much as mine. So you're going to help me. When you see requests, take a look. Look at who they are. Look at their profiles. And I, I'll tell you, we've had quite a few people declined in the last, I would say, two months that seem to be just out there trolling and um, we're keeping it about bikes, keeping it about us, the people that love motorcycles. You know, if somebody has nothing in common with, with any of our members and you know, they're in 1500 other groups, we're not going to approve them. So it's funny, you know, you and I had linked up uh, wherever on the web somewhere. Right. And uh, yep. I'm, a, I'm a former uh, Northeasterner, not certainly mm-hmm. as Northeasterner as you are, as you sit right now, <laughs> 30 minutes or so from the Atlantic. And I sit yes. probably 30 minutes from the Pacific. But I did grow <laughs> up in upstate New York and raced um, around the same time as you did. I, I, uh, I, 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 I ended my illustrious, you know, few year expert in uh, District 3. Uh, career yep. in, I think 1992. So I think around that time you were racing and I think you might've also taken a break around that time. Or... I did. I yeah. did. I, I ended up, let's see. Um, 1992 was the last year that I chased points up here in the NESC. Mm-hmm. And my wife and I were married in October that year. And we kind of decided at that point, after five years of having a pro license and really not doing much of anything other than um, qualifying for the Southwick national, but nothing outside of new England. We said, that's it. You know, we need to focus on our life. We wanted to raise a family and get going. So I, I sporadically raced a couple of times in 93, but that was pretty much it. 
that was pretty much it. I came back in 99, rode the vet series up here for a couple of years and um, crashed pretty hard. Got some, I don't know if a, the sense was knocked into me or knocked out of me. But um, we decided at that point to hang it up and, and kind of stepped away from motorcycles until some friends dragged me back out to ride and a few years of that. And here we are, you know, which no, no competitive urge whatsoever, as long as I just stay riding laps. But motocross is, is definitely a lifestyle. And it's kind of how I'm finding that everybody's attacking things up. You know, you, you attack your yeah. week like a moto. Um, yeah. Yeah. That type of thing, sitting at a stoplight and you look over to the side and you see those piles of dirt and you think, hey, I could double those. It's it's that that common bond that we all have that I, I thought I was weird for having. But now I find out that, you know, thousands of us out there do the same thing. So, well, it's, you know, I, so, you know, with that said, that sort of uh, thought. I will point out that as someone listening to this, I think we're at like almost eight minutes there's no current tie-in to this conversation to what does it have to do with the dealers, right? And that's kind of where I <laughs> yes. launched this from that perspective. You have, and I don't want to get into it now, but I definitely want to share your insights about dealer uh, dealerships. Sure. Uh, but I want to put that off. I want to kind of talk more about you know, how you and I first kind of linked up and now this uh, the old men that used to race as we're doing now. But I want to make sure to point out to anybody listening that there is a dealership tie in. You'll hear about it here uh, shortly. I think we want to get over to it. But I wanted to talk about, you know, as I apologize about that, I just had my phone interrupted real quick, but it went back. So I'm oh. back. <laughs> I'm back. Thanks, technology. Yeah, just that good now. It's just you're just seamless. <laughs> so so go ahead uh no no i go i, I i'm sorry <laughs> so in in your in your group that you built right so it's funny because as i'm as i'm looking at the post and you know heavily geared to northeast furthermore heavily geared to the new england right so that yeah me as a guy that grew up in new york I should have, right, as, as, as we all kind of care about the thing that is about us partially or the thing yep. that affects us partially, there really shouldn't be, and, and as I, you know, I paid attention to your post and just been jazzed to see, you know, information come up on, in my Facebook feed yeah. to do yep. this, there really, other than the fact that it's moto, I kept thinking, man, this is awesome. And I don't know what exactly the tie-in is because like I say, generally, I think now we're also concerned about our little microcosm of life. But right. what I, I guess what I'm realizing is the same exact things that you would share on stories and you're sharing in the, in the Facebook feeds and those deals. It's obviously tapping into a nostalgia of a time. Yes. You know, and, and obviously it, that resonates and, and obviously must cross these boundaries that I think we all build. For, well, this is my little little lot in life, you know, because I've been totally, you know, watching and I listened to you on the podcast with, uh, that you were on recently with, tell me the name of it again. It's the, it's the new England riders corner with Tyler, Tyler McAdams up here. He's, um, a 26 year old motocross racer from the NESC whose uncle raced with me and has some history. That was a pretty cool, you know, I only listened to the one with you on it of his, but it looks like he's got several. And, and again, to me, as I, was thinking that way already. And I listened to it and I kept thinking, man, just listen to Jim, tell the story and lay this all out. It's a connecting point that honestly, 
when I lived in New York, I would have totally been like, those New England guys, yeah, they're fast. <laughs> you got fast guys out there, but they're not like us. They're not the same. Obviously, you are. And as we go right. maybe, maybe further away from, from anything, we realize the similarities versus the differences. You know, you, you guys, you know, thinking about New England, as well as I would think about a lot of that area. I grew up in upstate New York. Absolutely. There's a, there's a real tie-in, too, to just the, uh, the determination and the grit. When you've got people that will put up with those sort of winters. Oh, and stay yes. pumped all winter long. And then, you know, some of the names that are intertwined with, with you on posts and interacting with you between, you know, Dowd, you know, Henry, yep, Dowd, Treadwell, Jojo Keller. Keller. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's uh it's amazing. And and yeah, I'm real I'm pumped for you, man. I it uh I, well, I actually went and Thank recommended you. a bunch of people uh earlier today to the group. So I don't know if those come through as requests that you'll we'll see, see and if they yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see them all, and once they if if they're invited and they accept, we'll we'll see them in there, and we'll see some of their interactions. I usually like to maybe two or three times a week write a welcome message to new members because it seems like it's always eight or ten people every couple of days that are new to the group, and uh, I, I like to you know kind of give that warm feeling, not not just a, a generic hey welcome welcome members, you know, give a little bit of say hey. The rest of you guys out there, let's tell these people how we feel, you know, what we do. This is about us, our Moto Heritage. And, and I actually like to call it the Northeast area because I like to include New York mm-hmm. in it. You know, it's New York is such a big area with motocross and the crossover between New England. You got guys from New England and New York that were, you know, we race together all the time in, mm-hmm. in all the different districts and NESC. And, yeah. you know, some of the fast, fast guys like Carlo Cohen, he was everywhere. Uh-huh. You know, Stratton from um, yeah. he was down a little bit further, but all those guys, they 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 all were together. Anytime there was a national on the East Coast, it was the same names all the time. And uh-huh. they were always in the races, uh-huh. you know, and that's uh, that's who we all looked up to as kids. So it's 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 more, I think, a Northeast thing. But it's great because it puts you back in touch with really, you know, what you grew up doing, what you grew up loving and. Uh-huh. It, it, I think it makes sometimes the days go by easier. If you, if you look at things and, you know, you have a great feeling, you see a picture and it brings back memories and you, you just really jazzed up because you remembered all that stuff. It puts you in a great mood. It lets you attack the days different. What, um, <clears throat> so, you know, because I, because I totally agree and I have my own opinion about why, you know, some of maybe potential reasons why that would be, but what do you think, about it so you mentioned obviously you know the nostalgic side and the mm-hmm. photos and and the memories that way but i guess where i'd pose the question to you is that there's got to be more because obviously to look at the photos to guys that i didn't know when i was racing and i still don't other than the social media connection and obviously then we all kind of yeah. enjoy the same memory sort of eras and those sort of things but it's funny that there's got to be more to why you know, you're getting guys from all over that aren't New England guys or not Northeast guys. So it's, it's obvious that it is. Well, I think there, I think there's, I think it was the right time. You know, I think it was definitely the right time for something like this because there's so many different generations of racers, even all over the country. And you start looking at, at the stuff that's going on. There's different guys that are doing different things. I happen to look at um, the website. We went fast. And that's something that Brett Smith is, he writes his articles on and he posts on, on social media. I started following him and reading his story 
his story sounded unbelievably parallel to mine where he would go out to some of the ride with some old buddies out. out I think he said might've been district 14. I'm not sure the exact district, but it was out in California mm-hmm. and they had the same stories. You know, they would laugh. They would talk about the old days. They, I would tell people what we would find here is we would bench race a lot. We would do more bench racing and laughing and only ride a few laps when we went there to ride our motorcycles. Mm-hmm. But we went home and had probably a better time connected with our old friends. And next thing you know, there's more people getting involved and more people. It just steamrolls. It's, it's phenomenal. And it just goes to show that, you know, once, once you're in it, it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. It's something that sticks with you for your life. I mean, it's really special. Well, I think I would, I would, you know, I'd go out on a limb maybe, I don't know if it is or not, but, and say that with as much negativity and drain that there is, you know, whether it's social media or on the news or anything else, all the things that we're kind of inundated with, I yeah. think, you, you, you know, uh, somebody doing what you're doing with, you know, having a group like that and continue, you know, contributing and getting folks involved and, and focus, you know, changing the focus from, yeah, you can jump on Facebook and, and yeah. bash your computer and, and talk smack to a bunch of people elsewhere in the country that have different political views or, or you, you can, can have some fun with your old friends. Yes. <laughs> and you know what? I'm, I'm very glad you mentioned that because that brings me to another point. I've actually had people send me messages, old friends, some people I didn't know, tell me, you know what? Thank you so much for this group because I was given up on social media. I was given up on Facebook. And then all of a sudden somebody added me to this group and I thought it was corny, but then I started looking at the pictures and, and the stories and I can't get off of social media now. I, I've actually told people, I said, you know, if you feel like you, you're done and you want out of social media, but you love the group and you love riding, just, you know what, leave it there, leave it in the group. So when you log into your Facebook app, it comes up with your group. You don't see your own personal feed. You know, since the personal feeds are so life is tough right now. Uh-huh. It's tough. And, and this is a place that we can all share, no matter how we feel about, you know, issues, whether we agree, we disagree, whatever. We all agree with motocross and we all agree with that, that feeling when you were young, you know, what it was like to get on a motorcycle and ride and how, uh-huh. you know, you were jazzed up. That's what we live for, you know, yeah. and it, it's it's awesome to have that still you know, half a century later, for some of us, we still have that, you know, it's still in your blood, you still have your friends. And you erase decades of, of time, when you look at a picture, and you can remember what happened in that moto that you were in. But you can't remember what you had for breakfast yesterday. (laughs) Or what your wife said. Oh, well, hey, you know, my wife might be listening to this. So. My, well, mine will, too. And maybe that's, she'll probably laugh and then, you know, send me an Instagram and text message. But it's, you know, it's unfortunately, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, we the things that are that are easy and fill us with, uh, you know, whether right. it's, you know, happiness, passion, whatever it is to do with something like this that we love to do it. You know, this obviously I think it starts kicking other pieces of it to the curb. It's, you know, the. Um, I, I guess I think, you know, and this isn't us getting into the dealership component yet, because I, I want to get into what you right. have as far as a, a take on a lot of the different dealership stuff and your, and your experience in it. But I'm wondering, too, you know, if there's a way that this sort of a conversation we're having, somebody that's listening that's at a dealership 
can be mm. like, yeah, man, that's the grassroots stuff. I mean, how does a, not like a yes. dealership necessarily can do something because obviously they've got an agenda, right? Your, your agenda is very different. A dealership being a business with an agenda, ultimately trying to win the, the moment, you know, as far as the, um, what, where people's attention is and get them ultimately to engage with them and buy and continue to be a customer. But you know, I wonder yeah. if there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of, you know, in this case, dealerships that could take some pointers from this, you know, dig, dig in, get your folks at dealership to potentially, maybe you have your own version of your, to me, right. If, if you could, if you were a dealership and you had, you know, a lot of photos and content and, and more like stories that have yes. to do with where your dealership came from, where it is now, what's going on, where it's headed. You know, if, if there were yep. a better engaging story. It, Absolutely. You know. your, your customers would be so much more engaged. I mean, in the power sports business, how many of these dealers out there, and I'd be willing to bet it's quite a few of them, have such a rich history starting from, you know, just maybe even a mom and pop shop that, it might've been somebody racing out of their garage and that's how, mm-hmm. you know, the dealership started. Yep. Um, but that, that's the key right now is, is how do we get kids and, and younger people into the stores, into motorcycling really? Mm-hmm. Because I mean, trying to battle against video games is, is incredibly tough. So that's why I think for us, all of us that are, they're a little bit older that are finding that, you know what? We we still love it. We're embracing it. It's our. It's up to us to to introduce our our kids, our grandkids, our nieces, our nephews. We got to introduce them to motorcycling and and get them into these dealers. And if the dealers, you know, like you just said, if there's some history and some heritage there, display it because that's that's really something that's unique to your your shop. It, it's not like the car business you know, where I'm, that's where I'm primarily from. Oh, you're giving some of the secret away. Go ahead. I'm <laughs> Sorry. I'm kidding. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> it, it can get kind of cookie cutter over there. Mm-hmm. You don't have that, all that special stuff that, you know, a, a power sports dealer has. There's no way the in- level of enthusiast based could probably be in there unless it's a race car shop right on or something. Yep. Right on. And, and even then some of those race car shops are so focused on, you know, the mass sales that, you tend to lose a little bit of, of, you know, what made them really special. You and I talked the other day on the telephone and you were telling me about some of the stuff that you're doing with help. Um, um, You are welcome to name who's trying to help you out out there in terms of engaging with getting people, you know, to the track, to the shop, you know, some, some cool, uh, like how something (laughs) like this, this you know bit viral uh, group in in a, in a corner of the U.S. is getting better exposure, and then people are knocking on your doors to be like, "Hey, maybe I can have this happen and, and get people engaged at the store." Obviously, they're fired up about motorcycles. You want to talk Absolutely. about that? Sure, sure. Okay. So I have um, one of our our local reps from Tucker. He decided I, I just kind of sent out as a joke, "Hey, you know this is getting so popular, I might have to look for sponsors." And and he messaged me back and said, "You know what?" Maybe I can help you. Let's see what we can do. And we talked a little bit. We started having a couple ride days. As we move forward, we're going to do a lot more with um, things like pro taper items that we might have raffles. We have maybe some giveaways to people that come to the track. But introduce people to some of the products that they can get, and then they can get at their local dealer as well. So 
for example, I had never tried biodegradable filter oil. Mm. So he says, here, he gave me a couple of cans of um, some oil to try. I, I used it. I was blown away. I got online. I wrote myself a little review, shared it to the group. Hey, guys, try this. You know, you can get this at your dealer. You know, don't don't feel like, you, you know, you can't go to these stores and ask for stuff. Go in and, and talk to them. Ask them what's best. Talk to engage with the people at the dealership to find out what you may like. But I mean, it's all a matter of awareness and well, getting the messages know, out in, in kind of the way that as you're talking and telling that story, right. Um, in my mm-hmm. mind, I like to think of different potential listeners and where their, their minds may be, you know, making opinions on things. And right. I would point out that in, at least in my opinion is someone could, someone could sound negative about that and say, Oh man, yeah, you take this grassroots thing. And then, then some company is trying to find a way to exploit your high level visibility in this group. Yeah. I would disagree. I would disagree fully only because when, when somebody like you and the team that that's working this program Mm -hmm. and making sure you're, you're getting out content and you're engaging with everybody in the group, I think this is exactly the group that would love to have people show us stuff on a silver platter. Show us, you know, do, do a cool, you know, uh, walkthrough on this product and tell us why it's so great. That's an area where, Absolutely. Honestly, you know, between Tucker and Parts and Western and mm-hmm. MTA and you name all the, the, you know, any distributor you've got, they've all got reps that are walking in and out of dealerships. Right. Those guys are, they're selling the dealership products that the dealership is then selling to customers. They're all eager in the process to backfill that. And if, yes. and if companies like, you know, like you hooked up with are coming in and lock and loading you with information. Mm-hmm. You can go armed to share to those masses that are not in the business. So to speak, mm-hmm. they're just mm-hmm. enthusiasts. I think that's something that we all want as consumer consumers. Yeah. But I don't know that it happens enough. So I only point that out because some people could say, well, you know, they, of course they're exploiting you, you know, to, <laughs> I, I don't know which, which listener would think that, but uh, I, I could see somebody sending me an email about it. You know, they, they could. Yeah, they could. Um, I have to agree with you, though. I mean, it's it's a way to get people in. It's a way to get people involved. I mean, like you said, some of these people, they, they don't know. And unfortunately, right. you know, you, you need people in. I, I've often said, even at my ride days, I want people to come up and, and talk to us. Check it out. See what we got going on. See what we have. You know, if we have something to give away that day, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But come over and say hi. Talk to us. Let us know. The guys with the experience probably are going to be a lot of the guys that you're going to want to hear from, you know, mm-hmm. how, how things work over the years. This, tell them this isn't like those, the Japanese nationals where they've got a blanket thrown over the bike. It's all super <laughs> secret underneath, right? <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. We're all here of the same, of the same sort of uh, motivation, and we all want to, you know, if I got some sort of a secret, let me share it with you. That's kind of what I've always experienced right. in, in power sports racing in general other than like i'd say the the real super you know secret stuff at the top that they're not trying to tell us about but otherwise local local (laughs) racing and regional racing and those are the most approachable people absolutely absolutely and and we have to make ourselves you know accessible even those of us that don't race anymore that are out there you know make yourself accessible to these guys and and the grassroots people and, and take you know i've actually i think we talked about the other day i would actually like to have a couple of ride days 
up here where it's just by have a couple of the guys that are more experienced, not even ride, just invite kids, yep. invite people to come up, teach, yep. let us, let them run. Let's question and answer, spend the whole day just letting people ride that are, are you know, just getting into the sport and, and coach. Well, you and I also talked about how, you know, the, if you look back, you know, backwards through the years on whether mm-hmm. it's the bikes themselves, you know, the capabilities of the bikes, the technology of the bikes, the gear itself, all these different pieces, the, 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 the proper, well, whatever proper is this year, you know, if it's got to do with riding form and it's, you know, did David Gilliman <laughs> teach you or did Ryan Hughes teach you, Yeah, you know, you, you've got different schools of thought on a lot of that. But if, if you look back through all that, you know, it's, you know, there's, 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 there's there's a lot of like confusion on people well, that, with that's different I, things. That's where I go with it. And that's why I say to, to remove a lot of those layers mm-hmm. of, you know, this is all about an experience with a human meeting a machine. And in this case, right. they're, they're heavily electronics based machines. So we're, it's essentially be, we're a cyborg, right? Yeah. We are, uh, we, we are, are like th- the Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> we let the clutch out and the bike does itself. It, but it, 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 it just, it, you know, it's one of those things that we all got it the first time that we, we jumped on a motorcycle, you know, and, and you started the bike up and you let the clutch out. And I, I me especially, and I, I have a feeling that a lot of people out there are the same way. You just giggle, you know, you just laugh because it's such a cool experience. You've never felt it before, you know, and that's the rush that you fall in love with and that carries you through. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we want people to have, you know, so what if you don't have the perfect form or anything like that? You got to love riding and you got to love motorcycling before any of that can be a factor, mm-hmm. you know. And that's I think that's what a lot of for me. I feel like again I'm starting to feel that that rush that you know when I was riding around the sand pits with my high school friends after school before I I was able to start racing those fun days. That's the kind of fun that that you know we're having now, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's almost like. Hey, it's okay. You can do this. You're not really reliving the past, but you're making your life now so much better because you're bringing that element back into it. Well, and, and versus reliving the past, it's funny because, I, you know, I don't know that saying. I'm going to mess it up because I'm not looking at it and pull it up or anything online. But what's that saying about the, uh, the man steps in a stream and then he steps in the stream 20 years later and it's not the same yeah. stream and it's not the same man or whatever. Yeah. Right? So. So to me, I, I think about, you know, if I watch myself in 1990 on a video on VHS and, mm-hmm. and how I rode and the bike I rode and what it's capable of and what I was capable of, even though I was much fitter than, yep. Yep. than I am now, yep. I can tell you that I can jump on a modern day bike and be considerably faster than I was at the best fitness even than I had because obviously – yeah. Over the years, you know, I have X number more hours or years worth of experience riding things and definitely the machines. And the are machines are so thing. much better. Yeah. They're so much closer these days. But that's yeah. that's that's the thing is you jump on the bike and you still get that same rush from riding a motorcycle that you had all through the years. You know, um, that was the performance aspect was one of the things that, you know, we had discussed before how the modern day bikes are so close back in in the days when we rode, you know, you rode, you picked a specific brand because that's what you were comfortable with and that's what you could ride. But now the bikes are so good that you can just tweak them a little bit and you could pretty much ride fast on, on any brand. Uh 
you know, yeah. watch the uh, watch the bike shootouts right on or on a video or in in print, and and you're like, wow, how come this magazine has it exactly backwards of the other magazine or something? You know, right? <laughs> I, I get it. And, you know, they're and they're <laughs> close, and, and and it depends on individuals, depends on tracks, depends on all these things. You know, so. at, at this point in time, it, it pretty much depends on whether you want to push a button to start it or kick it. You know, <laughs> something new. who would have ever thought? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I, I think I would have imagined floating cars and floating bikes before <laughs> some of the things we have on them nowadays. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, traction control on some of these bikes is just, really? It was always the right wrist. The right wrist in your clutch, uh, that was traction control. Yeah. I remember biggest conversation point when I worked for Honda in, uh, I guess it was the 2008 CRF450 was coming out. And yep. at the time, it was the first moto, or at least, you know, off-road bike or whatever that Honda had offered with, mm. with a multi-map automated, you know, it was depending on which gear it was in, it had a different <laughs> map for, obviously, they wanted to be able to have something that under high revs and in the lower gears, like second or third gear, I forget how they did it, but they set it up where it had a different ignition curve in yes. those gears. And at the time, I remember thinking, dude, that is so high tech. And I'm talking to yep. people about it, and they're like... Eh, it's not really traction control. And I was like, okay, well, obviously it's come a long way since. And but still, you know, I ride an adventure bike now that's got, you know, lean angle sensors and traction control. And I can t- turn a bunch of switches to make it, you know, aggressive or not aggressive and turn mm-hmm. it off. And that's, you know, that's kind of where we're headed. And the, the old, the old right wrist and fly by right wrist is, uh, is still there. And hopefully you can always, yeah that feeling because that's that would obviously be a deal deal breaker in my opinion if you yeah if if you take too easy if you exactly you can't take well you know it's fun it's weird you say that because i saw pictures the other day or a video of a self-driving motorcycle and Uh and and the first thing that came to my mind is why you know why why would you even as a as a rider i wouldn't want anything to do with the self-driving motorcycle because that's why we ride is to ride you know to get away from all that we know I've seen the I've seen the videos and I think I probably even shared them of the of the Honda where the Honda will walk behind you as you're walking like it's going nice yep. and slow. And then yep. I've seen the one of the BMW that came out at uh, one of their big shows in the somewhere else across the mm-hmm. pond, I think, but where they showed that. And I was talking to a BMW dealer about that, mm-hmm. and when we're discussing it, he's like, "Oh no, no, yeah, it's, it's about you know making sure that sort of a machine can." Uh, interact with self-driving cars. Like if a self-driving car, you know, moves lanes, doesn't see that. And as he's yeah. explaining it, I, I may be getting it wrong exactly what he was talking about, but as he's explaining it, I'm thinking, oh, it makes more sense in that way. But at the same time, I'm thinking, wait, but we're a human sitting on top of it. If the thing veers to the left, yeah, yeah. where's where our you... body? Did yeah. I just then fall <laughs> off the motorcycle because I didn't know I was doing that? Like. I, you know, it, I have lots of questions. At that point, you're you're the one that's off the motorcycle trying to avoid the self-driving car. Exactly. I'm you tumbling know? down the road, yeah, with my airbag going off on my riding <laughs> on your, gear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, oh, it's it's scary to think about the direction that we're headed. Yeah, the uh, the good news, I think, is, is uh, like I say, I think as much, you know, to me, it comes back to human nature and where you put in your mind and, and as, as much as technology we you know we want certain things they don't come out we we don't want certain things here they come um, yep I, I would go back to the you know like what you got going on i just you know that's i wanted to make sure the first half of this uh podcast was to call you out for for the attaboy because what you're oh, doing thank is, you is engaging people at a level that they want 
right? Yeah. Probably didn't know they wanted it. You didn't know they wanted it. You just were doing it for fun, and and obviously it's it's caught on. And I'd encourage obviously anybody that hears this to check it out. If it's something that they want to be a part of, do it. If it's something where they see that and it motivates them to do it at their own level, uh, you know, engagement with. You know, if engaging the people at the level that they want to be versus the I'm going to get you drawn into doing right. my product, it's, that's just not what people, consumers want anymore. Yep. You'll um, be way more successful and, and you'll have a much higher rate of engagement, I think, if you do that because the people love it. And they, it's not like getting mail that, you know, oh, I don't want this. I'm going to throw uh-huh. it away. Uh-huh. Well, um, let's go and take a break right now. And then we sure. come back. I would like to talk to you about. Uh, your take, uh, your background in dealerships, because you've got a, sure. a long background in dealerships and yep. kind of what, uh, especially the motorcycle guys that I interact with, maybe RV guys, and definitely, you know, you, you got your experience in automotive. I want to talk about that a little bit. And, Sounds great. Okay, we'll be right back. Thanks. There we go. Hey, there we are. <laughs> back uh this is uh, episode number 10 of the dealership fix it podcast and i've got jim boshin on with me from the uh beautifully cold <laughs> east coast frigid yes keeps you awake that way you don't fall asleep when you're driving home from work and certainly dark. does I'll, I'll take it over the midwest though i've seen the temperatures out there that is not pleasant uh-huh <laughs> so we chatted a little bit in the beginning there about uh uh, your old men that used to race uh, yep. Facebook page, and I'd encourage anybody listening to this if you're if you're into motorcycles and uh, you want to check out somebody that's uh, that's doing it upright, that's got a lot of activity, a lot of people engaged uh, in a group. You know, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. if uh, you know if Jim will approve you, you can go try to look at that and and see if that's your cup of tea. But it's it's definitely worth checking Absolutely. out. It's a pretty cool group. But I wanted to ch- uh, chat in the second half about. Your experience, because you've got a whole lot of dealership experience. And, I do. But none of it's in power sports. You've lived your life in power sports, in, in motocross and, mm-hmm. and dirt bikes and, and that. But um, as we talked, I realized there's a lot of things that are the same across yeah. the uh, aisle over to automotive. The uh, Yes. Okay. Um, mostly, I mean, from, from what I see, the customer experience and the way that, that people – react and interact with their customers. Uh, I've been a parts manager for probably 20 years now. Um, I've been in the auto business for 30, actually 30. I I can't even remember. I banged my head riding motorcycles Uh too many times. But um, (laughs) so what I notice especially is, is how people interact with each other, you know, and, and I remember on one of your earlier podcasts, you know, talking about some of the ways that people, you're, you have to watch out because your employees try to avoid interacting with customers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you got to I think it's all in, in the matter of. First of all, how are they compensated? Um, what's in it for them? Wait, was that the Do C they, word? That you just yeah, said? unfortunately, it's the C <laughs> word. But but they have to they have to understand their impact on on long term. They have to look past this one, you know, the one thing that they're doing right now and say, Hey, is this customer going to want to keep coming back to me? What's it's all about retention in the automotive industry. You know, you want that person to keep coming back and coming back and coming back when they need parts or service or another car. So 
I mean, there's a lot of things with different word tracks. I, I encourage my guys. I tell them every time, you know, you talk to a customer, pleasant, absolutely get somewhere in there that you thank them for coming into the store. You know, their business is genuine and it's something that you value. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's the biggest, the biggest thing that I see from the start. You had stated before that, you know, you want that customer to feel like, wow, that's the owner that just, mm-hmm. you know, took care of me. And, and that's exactly it. That's what you need to have. You need to keep, to keep people happy. One, one bad experience and you've probably lost that person. And, and there's so much competition in the automotive industry. And I think that's where it really comes into play is just customer satisfaction. We are completely driven and graded by customer satisfaction on the auto business side. I think um, it sure seems like, you know, I haven't worked for a manufacturer in a long time. And I haven't worked at a dealership in a number of years either. And I know that certain manufacturers have, you know, have done a really uh, – a much better job in, in recent years of doing things like secret shoppers and yes. rating guys on, you know, those sort of criteria that you're talking about. So I know that there's at least a movement by some, and I'm sure many, because obviously they, they, at the higher level, they get how important it is. Right. I think, you know, it's, it's, I wonder if, um, you know, at the level at which you get, you know, you're, you're staffing your, you know, your, your little, uh, Power sports dealership and you're getting two or three guys, you know, whatever mm-hmm. level store it is, obviously. But when you've when you've when you've got that going on and they put it's a bit cart before a horse, you, you, you know, you don't want to put somebody that knows nothing about motorcycles in a position to deal with people that that expect high level yep. information. But, you know, I guess, you know, how do you how do you make that person? that is going to be a good customer service person into a great one and also have it be a person that either is on the upswing on learning curve or they've got a background and, and, and being an enthusiast themselves. And I don't know what the answer is exactly, but you know, you mentioned the C word uh-huh. yep. <laughs> compensation. I know that can be important <laughs> and, and as a way just to, I think the old saying is put in the bowl, what the dog wants to eat, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think, I think even that, and that even in, in our side, it might get overstated too much because that's all the studies that, that we're exposed to. It's, it's more about appreciation of your employees and your staff. It's about educating them, training them, how do you want them to, to handle it? It's up to you as a manager to train them. Um, one of the, the biggest things that's, that's pushed into us as managers is the easiest way to see how things are going. You know what? Pick up your phone and call your store. Mm-hmm. Don't tell them who it is. You're the mystery shopper. Mm-hmm. You know, see how they interact. And, and if you don't like the way they do it, have a meeting. Retrain. You know, go over the things that, that you think could be done better. You know, obviously, if you're a manager, you've been through it. You've been through most of the levels and then you've worked your way up. So you understand and you know what it's about. Um, I'd like to think that anyway. Well, and you're but, right. And, and, and if and if if we're talking, you know, the example of phone calls, you know, if somebody's calling the calling any dealership or any business for that matter. But obviously, we're, we're discussing dealerships as the mm-hmm, business mm-hmm. that we we are kind of uh, kind of you know looking at and focusing on scrutiny. Right. But. You know, phone calls aren't really, they're definitely not at the level of uh, expectation on volume from them. You're not going to get the phone calls these days that you used to get yes, X number right. of years ago. So so even, I guess, where you had said it, 
I think it's even more so like maybe there needs to be an even lower tolerance for, you know, monkey business when I call and rings and rings. And then finally someone picks up and then (laughs) I go straight to hold. I'm on hold for five minutes, you know, and, you know, obviously that it's, it's tough. You have to have certain, um, I don't want to say rules, but that's essentially what they are. You have to have things in place, you know, how how many times does the phone ring before you pick it up? I've called dealers, and and yes, my experience is in um, automotive, but the same could be applied for power sports too. It, just like you said, you call and the phone rings and rings and rings. Well, why is that happening? You know, what is the staff doing? Is there somebody there? Is the proper? Do you have the proper amount of staff? Uh-huh. Um, is there a procedure? Do they know? Granted, you don't answer the phones much anymore because business is is changed, and you do a lot more through um, face-to-face in, in the power sports side, um, maybe through the online purchasing on, the, on that side. But I, I think it's really important that you have procedures down and your people are trained to follow them. Um, have certain word tracks, you know. Thank them for coming to the, to the, the store, for buying from you. I mean, they could have gone any other place, but they chose you for some reason. And, and you really have to you have to wow everybody who, I mean, these people want to spend money in your store. Mm-hmm. That, the, the biggest difference, and I thought about this the other day after we talked, I think the biggest difference between the power sports industry and the automotive industry is the power sports industry is primarily an emotional purchase. You know, when people come in, they, they come in, they're jazzed up. They see the bikes on the floor. They see, you know, the quads, the side-by-sides, whatever they want to buy. They see all the gear and, you know, it's like, wow, I got to have that. I got to have that. I got to have that. Most of the time when you come to an auto dealership, it's not that way. Those people are not happy to be there because they don't, I don't want to come in there and buy a set of, you know, <laughs> brake pads for my car. I don't want to do this. So yeah. right off the bat, you have somebody that you kind of have to smooth a little bit and turn around and, and maybe, maybe they're really upset. They're not going to let you know, they're not going to like the price on, you know, that set of Brembo pads for their TL when they hear it's got a, you know, like a $300 price tag on them, but you have to try to be, you're trying to turn somebody around. If you can get somebody with that high already, because they, they love what they're looking at, then, then, you know, you've already won. It's just a matter of how you approach them. Mm-hmm. Is maybe that's why you guys always have all the good treats. You have cookies and, <laughs> and drinks, and you have a nice little area to go. And you might even have an area to warm something up. And I don't know. <laughs> oh yes, oh yes, yes. We we do have all that. We have um, we have all at our store. We have all that. Some of the other stores actually have full blown cafes in them uh-huh. that you can go and buy your lunch. Um, depending if you're one, like a Ben's customer and you got you know one of the expensive malls, you might get it for free, but. <laughs> Um, no, it, it's funny. You do, you have, it, it's so customer driven. Um, but, but even then when you start thinking about it, that's, that's really just one department that we're talking about. And a lot of the success of the stores revolves around all the departments and working together. And I think that's another area where the communication, um, you know, people working together, it just, it has to happen and it falls short a lot of the time. That's I, I'd say that's one definitely, you know, right on the, right on the mark. I, in my experience of working at dealerships, it was years ago, but I still interact with mm-hmm. many, many dealerships on a daily basis. And I think that's, 
that's something that I continue to see. And I can, you know, it, to me, it's like these overtones of exactly what it was so many years ago and this many years ahead. We should, we should, they should, everybody should be that much better at it. But I find right. a lot of dealers have that issue and it doesn't seem to get resolved until either some, somebody that comes in as process driven is hired into the organization Yep, and they bring with them their, their, you know, kind of uh rule book on, on how it should be and it, and it gets work yeah. or, they, or they hire some expensive consultant, which isn't a bad thing. If, if it's, you know, to hit the reset button, if that's what it takes is to bring somebody in and, and be on the hook for a bunch of money and everybody's going to do it and we're going to mm-hmm. figure it out and we're going to accentuate the positives and, and over overshadow those negatives or make them go away. Right. That's, and you know, it, it's, I think it's a lot of it too. When you, when you get into a situation like that, there's a lot of staff that might've been there that, you know, as as I mentioned before, when when you and I talked, the 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 people that are there, you know, and you say, well, you try to ask them, why do you do it this way? Well, because we've always done it that way, you know. And it's like, oh, that drives me crazy. That'll get somebody fired, right? It will get somebody fired. It almost got me fired, and that's how I learned. <laughs> um, but it, 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 and it's to the point where it doesn't matter where the person that that's telling you, you know, stop thinking like that. You can't do it. It doesn't matter where they figured it out. They figured it out at some point along the way that that, um, you know, if, if if you're still doing business like you were 18 months ago, you're probably going out of business, mm-hmm. you know, and, and times change that fast. Actually, somebody told me that today. And <laughs> that's a very good one that I'm going to remember for a while. Um, but, but that's the truth of it. You know, everything changes so fast that you have to constantly be, as, as I like to say, changing up your line when you're looking at attacking something or or doing something, how are you going to generate more profit? How are you going to sell more of these? How are you going to do that? Those questions are always going to come because you're really in, in pretty much all sales too. I would think you're really only graded, you know, based on your last month. Well, how much did you do last month? You're going to do more now, right? You know, and you got to think of ways and, and, and think differently sometimes to be able to do it. What um, I have to assume that you, you know, maybe not this time of year as much, but uh, you've got plenty of experience walking in and out of a uh, power sports dealer for your own mm-hmm. purchases and things like that. And although you might have known these people for a long time and it might be a different scenario, when you go in and out of these dealers, is it, do you, I mean, is it, do you just want to say like, oh, hey, I noticed this or I know, I mean, do you see a lot of yes. things where you want to help, but you don't want to be like, they're going to be like, oh, this car guy, what's he know? He's going to come yes. in the power sports, you know? Yes, absolutely. Um, it, what's that from an outsider's view on power sports, but an insider's view on running a parts department or, mm-hmm. you know, like what you've done through so many years, what? What sort of things do you see? What sort of things do you kind of think when you see them? And you don't have to call anybody out. I don't want anybody mad yeah. at you. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, dirty displays. Dirty displays. Uh, when you walk into a store and you see, because in the power sports side, you have gear, you have oil, you have all kinds of stuff that sit out on shelves. But some of it sits on shelves longer than others. So if you walk in and you start seeing, it, obviously something hasn't been moved in two or three months because, you know, there's half an inch of dust around it. Uh-huh. That that's something that you see right off the bat and you kind of cringe like, mm, you know, okay. this guy's got to change it up. Let me pause you there. Right? That's, that's an example I want to ask you a question about. Mm-hmm. So with that in automotive, yep. I know it's obviously, you know, probably very different, at least in my opinion of what automotive is. I don't know your dealership in particular, but yeah. in power sports, all that stuff you're seeing out front 
almost all of it is probably from one of a few different distributors and there they each have like a single rep that calls on them in automotive who would be cleaning that whose primary job is that the staff or is that do you have vendors that are no that that's the staff well certain manufacturers in in where i am i'm with acura yeah acura we do it ourselves so we're responsible for doing that i like to do it per season per holiday um I have a couple of, of um, girls that work for me that love doing it because they love going out there and just getting creative. You know, give them the company credit card and say, go to Michael's um, gift stop down the street and pick up a bunch of stuff that you think would look good for Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things like that. And it really creates this, you know, an eye-catching display when, mm-hmm. when you do it right, when somebody puts a lot of effort into it. Um, I, I think other brands, though they have people that do it and uh, granted I'm a little bit jealous because that would be fantastic if somebody else did it. <laughs> well, I just, I only asked but, that because like, you know, for, I could never say, I mean, I've been a parts guy for a number of years at dealerships in Texas and, you know, I can tell you that it was like, Oh man, this is the life when <laughs> instead of me working until 10 o'clock at night, you know, yep. still checking in freight because I was busy up front and getting special orders put together and service parts, parts to service that I needed on, on ROs and those sort of deals. Yeah. And and then the very last thing I need to do is the most important visually, which is what's the what's my my space look like to the consumer that's walking mm-hmm. in or to my potential customer. And thankfully, you, you know, in, in the power sports business, you realize that you've got reps that come in. Mm-hmm. I I mean, hopefully this doesn't make all the reps mad because I'm putting them on. <laughs> I'm putting them on blast or something like that because there's, there's plenty of great reps. I had plenty of great reps. I've interacted. Oh, I've yeah. Seen they, a ton of them. A bl- yep. But those reps, I would, you know, there was several reps that I had that showed up and they knew the routine. They would come on in. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, you see, I'm busy. Uh, don't really don't come up and start chatting with me and pull me aside. I don't have an hour to give you. But yeah, go and straighten your stuff. You know, yep. backfill. If you're the oil, one of your product lines is oil. You know mm-hmm. where I keep the oil. It's boxes of it in the back I bought from you. Go, for, mm-hmm. go put that back in there. or come. And then when that, all that work's done, and, and you find great examples of those. And, and honestly, it was a lot of times the owner would say, hey, you know, you're getting brand X product, but I know there's like three distributors that have it. Are we getting the best price? And I'll say, right. well, probably not, you know, and not all cases. It was like, but it's probably service. not, but exactly. But I know that these guys, they're, they, they continue to make it easy to do business with them. And I, and like I say, those are the sort of examples I think of that I think that carries over to customers the same way. Absolutely. Not, not to get off on a tangent about that, but I guess I wondered from automotive, if there was any sort of, um, you know, any of that being the same, I know power sports is heavily like, you know, it's, it's like a, like a catalog threw up on the right. parts <laughs> right accessories right department because it's not always like, Oh, it's we're all Alpine stars <laughs> head to toe. Everything here is off. You know, no, it's like, you know, the one rack has five different brands on it. Right. Quite always. Well, that's, that's a lot of the power stores that, you know, you walk into half, half the showroom is, is, you know, all the displays in front yeah. of the parts counter. And that's fantastic. Automotive stores the other way around. I mean, yep. we'll, we'll have stuff in the, and the GMs. Nope. You can't have that in the showroom. You can't have that there. No, no, we have car. We got, we need to put the latest car here, you know, and, <laughs> Okay, well, can you put it? Can you? That's not just a power sports argument. It's not just a power sports territory war. Can Can you put roof racks and running boards in that car? Oh, uh, well, we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, and, I mean, 
And then do you say to them, well, I'll put it on there, but then you're going to ask me to take it back off that unit to sell on a different unit <laughs> yeah. later on, right? You're going to sell it that way. I wish that didn't happen, but <laughs> <laughs> slightly gently used. So, okay. So go on. So that we've talked about dirty displays as one of your, dirty as a guy displays. that's versed in this, walking into power sports dealers, dirty mm-hmm. displays are the first, one of the first things that pops out at you. Yep. Yep. Um, greetings. You know, ah. who, who says hello, who greets you? Um, most of what you see on my side is there's usually somebody there. How can I help you? What department were you looking for? Are you looking for somebody in specific? Are you, you know, it, basically they're, they're trained to say it. But sometimes I would think walking into a power sports store, luckily I've known everybody in yeah. the stores that I've been in, but I could see where, it, you know, if you were walking in for the first time and you were confused, where do you go? Who, who points you to someone, you know, mm-hmm. or, or you want to look at a bike or do you need to pick up some oil? What is it? Where do you go? Mm-hmm. Um, it's to, to, to expand on that topic just quickly. You know, I've, you know, if you're, you know, like you had said, you've known a lot of these guys quite a bit, but mm-hmm. I'm sure when you're there, people walk in that you don't recognize and that they don't know. And a lot of times, if that's nope. that, a mistake I see. Like I'll be standing there talking to one of my clients, one of my dealers, mm-hmm. and I'm talking to I'm talking to the owner or the general mm-hmm. manager or the sales manager. Maybe I'm talking to a salesperson or whoever. It doesn't matter. Anybody in that hierarchy that that is a person working at the shop. I'm standing there talking to them. We're in a position where somebody's entered the building. I don't know them. They don't look like they're coming in with a briefcase, like they're coming in to try to sell something. You know, right? And they walk in, and I'll I'll break eye contact with who I'm talking to to look at the consumer. And a lot of times I'm the first one that says something. Hello. Right. Not to generalize because I have plenty of dealers that do a really great job in general, but that, and any times I see that, that's like, man, that's a learning experience. And I don't have, that's, I've got a long list of things to go over. I didn't know I needed to, to do that too, but yeah, like you're saying, it's, it's important and, and promptly greeting them. Cause obviously that's like dead radio yeah airspace you know it's like and, all of a sudden time's ticking and it feels like forever and it's been three seconds but the right person walked in they're staring at you or they're walking up to you you don't acknowledge them well the other thing the other thing to think about that too is that's their very first impression yep so i mean that first impression can make or break you huh. so if if somebody walks in and and there's nobody there and they look confused and nobody says anything to them that that's a tough one that's a tough one to you know you 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 can always it's, it's easier, I think, to, to have a positive influence on somebody than it is to try to win them back. That's, that's, a, uh, that's a don't put yourself in a position to have to recover from something. Try to right. Keep... <laughs> right. That. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, that's, so you said dirty <laughs> displays, greeting is, uh, is sometimes an issue. What yeah. else? Would you say anything else? I, I think because it, especially in power sports, things are laid out differently. Mm-hmm. So, you know, is it? Is it easily accessible? Can you move around easy? Um, mm. How much room? You know, how are the displays look? Uh, are the bikes straight? Does everybody take pride in in their appearance as opposed to, um, you know, is a guy in is there a guy in a ripped t shirt and jeans, you know, selling a bike on the floor type uh-huh. of thing? Uh-huh. You know, I, I think it's just something that, and it might not be that big of a difference, but it's just something in the back of my mind because I'm used to a different world where you're told how you have to be and you're told that, you know, you have to be there and, and people, you know, if somebody walks in and they're upset, 
you got to make that go away because if that problem gets to the owner, guess what? You're giving something away. Yeah. And you know, you, you mentioned that, you know, I don't, I think, you know, you're, you're at an Acura dealership, Mm -hmm. right? So, Mm -hmm. so you're not some run of the mill. You're the expectation on the experience being a primo level experience that that's had in all categories is the the standard that honestly, right. It's, it's, you're not going to get, every power sports dealer to no. approach that. But on, nope. you, you definitely have a lot of them that probably would like to say, well, how do I move that way? You know, if you're a, I don't know any, you name that sort of brand that's considered premium. If, is it BMW motorcycles? Right. Is it, is it Harley Davidson? I mean, I'm not naming names of, of I'm not affiliated with any of these organizations, but, but the still one, the ones yeah. where they have to make sure that they're doing it all right. If they're not listening to conversation like you're having with me about, mm-hmm a guy that walks in and you're seeing, you know, I, I don't know. I took psychology and in, in plenty of it in college. I, I, I'm no psychologist, right. But I can tell you that some of the things that stuck with me back then and reading about them, one of them was the, the concept that, you know, our human brain is always analyzing in situations constantly better, yeah, worse, is. better, worse, better, worse, you know, like mm-hmm. is, is this that's going on here? Is it, is it, is it, helping me or hurting me? Is it making me feel happier or sadder? I mean, like that is going on all the time. So the question I have for you in regards to those sort of level experience, and obviously you walk in with fresh eyes at a very high caliber, (laughs) not not probably the the target uh, audience that they can attain without a bunch of extra work, but with things like um, apparel, like Mm -hmm. not apparel, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I say apparel, like it's the the gear in in the back. With things like what, the dress code is at a dealership. Yes. If you walk in from, you know, as a, as an outside guy walking in, who's an enthusiast, but you don't work in it and you walk in and the dealership lets everybody wear grungy clothes. Mm. Is that an issue for you? I would think so. Yeah. I would think so because it's, it's all, you know, I think that's going to, it's going to, it's going to have a little bit of bearing on, well, how did, how did they greet me? You know, how did I, how do I feel about, do they look like they take pride in their work? Are these people happy? You know, that's the biggest thing. Are they, if, if you get somebody that looks at you and scowls, it doesn't matter what he's wearing or she's wearing. Right. You know, you instantly feel like, Oh boy, did I make a mistake coming in the door? You know, what's, you know, what's funny about this. I, I bring this up and as you're telling me and I'm daydreaming, listening, <laughs> <laughs> that's how my mind works, I guess. But I remember probably, I would probably wear, you know, I tried to wear some sort of an industry shirt. It might be like a, a pit shirt. Like at a, if I worked at a Yamaha shop, right. I might have a Yamaha pit shirt and I might have jeans and they might have a rip in them or whatever. But I remember when I first got into the business, I think I had some goofy hairdos, you know, now I'm just mm-hmm. this old gray dude with a beard. <laughs> but back then I remember, um, I would, you know, bleach my hair cause that was the thing, right? So McGrath did it and all the yeah. cool guys did it. And of course my hair was bleached. It might've just, just been the tip, right? <laughs> but um, looking back on it, I remember at some point it, it clicked that I knew that as I'm serving customers, that in some cases I was putting myself in a deficit all of a sudden yeah. because this guy may not have appreciated that I had, in my opinion, cool hair or I was trying to have cool hair or whatever. All of a sudden I realized that I put myself in a position to have somebody either judge me or yeah. judge the appearance of where I was. And it became important to me as when I was a parts manager, even though I right. heard, you know, kids with goofy, fluffy hair that were sticking out of the flat bill hat that's on backwards. And, yep. You know, but 
I know that, you know, those sort of, like you said, appearances are important. Mm-hmm. And do you put yourself in position with how your appearance is, is, is broadcast? Are you putting yourself in position to be more successful or are you digging yourself a bit of a hole to have to come out of with now you got to extra wow the guy because you've, you know, you look like a goofball. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I think you, that's exactly it is, you know, when we're young, we, we kind of don't, you know, you get that guy that's judging you and, and you get, you know, I don't care. He can think what he wants of me, but I'm here, I'm doing my job and I'm mm-hmm. going to give him good service. But, but as you get older, you realize it's not about you're giving him great service maybe, but it's how is he interpreting that from you, yep. you know, and, and you start to think a little bit more. And I, I, I don't like to, to say that, you know, I have to change with, with the, the age, but, it, it becomes a point where you realize that this is what you do. This is your career. If you spend any time in it, you, you, need, you need to take a big look at things and see how, how would you feel if it was you walking in looking at somebody? Mm-hmm. You know, how would you feel if it was you coming in the door being greeted by a person? And you, you have to treat people the way that you would want to be treated. The, uh, I guess there's the opposite is true. I remember working at dealerships and when somebody walked, if somebody walked in a motorcycle dealership with a suit on, that was not a customer. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> that was a salesman. A salesman. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny because in what I do daily, daily, we walk that fine line. Like they want us to dress professionally business casual, which means mm-hmm. they prefer you don't wear jeans. I guess I'm really not supposed to wear jeans. In fact, I'm not wearing jeans today. So I guess I yeah. set the bill with today's business, <laughs> but that walking that line, because I might walk in a place that totally thinks this, that you're guy, a this guy doesn't get me, even though I've yeah. been sitting down with them because I'm, I'm not, you know, I guess that's a, that's a, uh, a bar that you've got to, to meet. And, and obviously it's got to do with company expectations, but I, I think I agree. And having been the kid who, who probably underdressed, you know, when I worked at shops, I can tell yeah. you I, I moved the other direction because I saw the amount of more work I had to do <laughs> to get the desired result, which is, it was a happy customer that just the experience was great. And, uh, okay. So we hit, I think three points with that. Uh, yeah. when you walk in, is there any other things that would pop out that you point out or not really that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, okay. I mean, like I said, just in overall, when you walk in the door, how, how you're there, you know, you're excited to see motorcycles to, you know, pick out a helmet, do whatever you want to do. How is that when you, I mean, when you walk in the door, do you still feel that, you know what I mean? Right. Or, or are you looking around like, Oh boy, did I make a mistake? just by an overall appearance of what you're looking at and how you're being treated. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest thing is that initial impression. Okay. You know, um, what's, what's the kind of the biggest challenges you run into, you know, running a parts department at a, obviously a very successful dealership from what we've talked about. Is there yeah, communication between the departments? Okay. That's, that's the key is, is the departments that don't want to work together or, um, you know, where did it break down? Because it doesn't matter if it was between sales and service or, or, you know, service and parts or even parts and sales. If something happens and you can't come through with a product or a service, a guy's got a brand new MDX that he expects delivery. And for some reason we couldn't get the roof rails on, you know, why did that happen? Why? I mean, where did it break down? 
and we have different safeguards in place. We have different programs in place. That's one benefit that the auto industry has that I don't think the power sports industry has so much yet is we have the ability to communicate via messenger, um, different programs. There's so many programs, software programs that you can use that will, um, upgrade you know the customer can pick what they want in their vehicle break it down to the payments and what it's going to cost them and as soon as they agree to it the the finance office will you know hit send and it will send it to us and to the service department who generates the repair order automatically and stuff starts the ball starts rolling right away there's no you know downtime running around somebody leaves a you know a set of keys in their toolbox it's it's all it's all handled it's all communicated and and taken care of and it's smooth and i think that's something that that from what i've seen doesn't necessarily always happen um in a service department and and sales in power sports but it could it could depends on the size of the dealership i think it's um there's it's definitely more wild west i think than that now but i i have mm-hmm. seen there's plenty of dealers that have told me that they're doing these different like internal you know chat sort of product you know throughout the location and and you know not surprisingly you know i guess that's you know power sports a lot of times the business itself is is not quite as many years forward like automotive right which may be the nature of the beast but maybe maybe things are moving faster now because you know with with different uh software capabilities and and these different things i guess they can probably plug and play those to different systems i'd like to i'd like like to to think that they said they would yeah uh, and, and I, you know, it's only a matter of time, but I think it's, it's definitely the, the two different style of businesses, you know, where, where power sports is, is more of an emotional purchase because you're, you're going in, you, you want that bike. And I mean, when you see that bike on the floor, you just want it, you know, how long, how, how quick can you get it out? Can you put it in my truck right now? You know, <laughs> and, and you do have those people in the car side once in a while, but for the most part people are accustomed to saying, okay, you can come back on, it's, it's now a Saturday. You can come back on Tuesday. How would Tuesday work for delivery? You know? Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's two different worlds completely, but there is a lot of the same type of um, thought process that could carry over and, and benefit actually, I mean, benefit both really, you know, you know, and, and, and the, and the RV business is uh, maybe the other side of the car version right so if, if motorcycle mm-hmm. a lot of folks want it you're talking instant gratification i i either need to ride that thing out of here you're gonna put it in my trailer or my truck and then automotive you know they probably could get it rolled same day if they have to and but maybe put it right. out would be ideal so they can do it properly and then yep. with rv i mean i guess it depends on time of year and, and actual dealership and, and all these other factors but rv yeah. business it's like Oh yeah, you want that? Yeah, we can get y'all signed up today. You know, we can get that locked and loaded for you. Um, <laughs> you know, would 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 uh, would you be able to come pick it up in two weeks? You know, when yeah. we can do the delivery. But it's you know that's like a house versus a. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, and like I said though, the flip side too. I would love to see some of the passion in the in more of the passion in the car industry because I think in the power sports industry you got enthusiasts that are are working you know, at a lot of the stores that, that really love the products that they're selling and, and they use them, they use them, you know, so they know about them on the other side, you know, you got a guy that's selling sometimes a $200,000 car that doesn't really doesn't drive them. So he doesn't know as much about them, you know, and I think it, it, they both could benefit from each other um, in terms of, of some lessons anyway. Well, I think about, you know, like, 
with the communication aspect, you know, I don't currently bring my Volkswagen to the Volkswagen dealer because it's not in warranty anymore. And I start bringing mm-hmm. it to a, just a little Volkswagen repair shop. That's got to get a reputation that, you know, for oil changes or whatever, if I'm on the fly, yep. I don't do any of that stuff myself. I can, but I don't because I'm always on the go and I can go sit there and work in their lobby while they change my oil yeah. for other things. But the, the thing that I do miss that the Volkswagen dealer did was along the lines you were saying with the, with the higher level communication, I would, mm-hmm. you know, I would get, you know, I would, you know, make an appointment. They would remind me whatever a day or so before when, yep. you know, and maybe after it's out of warranty, maybe it's not quite the same, but they would say, Oh, Hey, and will you be needing a loaner car or will you be, mm-hmm. uh, will you be uh, staying in the, in the service area with us throughout the duration of it? And I'd say, Oh man, you know, I got a bunch of stuff to do. Yeah. Can I get a loaner? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was always like, maybe if I had like a, you know, goofy warranty thing to do. They would gladly give me a rental or loan. Right. Yeah. I would take off. They would message me like, like I think you and I talked about status on status updates. Yeah. That was cool. And if I respond mm-hmm. back to it, of course, that, that message dropped into the, the, the PC, the computer that my service advisor was sitting on. Yeah. The, it was just much more like, you know, here I am a guy calling on dealerships all day mm-hmm. and realizing that, wow. Yeah. None of the guys that I interact with these, these uh, power sports dealerships are doing, I mean, like I say, they're beginning to do some of that, but it's, it's, it's something to aspire to, I guess. Is what right. I mean. Right. And, and it, it's going to take a little bit of time. I mean, it didn't happen that way overnight for, for the other side either. So, mm-hmm. you know, it took years and years of frustration and, and trial and tribulation when it comes down to processes and, you know, does this work? Well, it works for the parts department, but it doesn't work for the service department, you know, and, and it was a lot of give and take and, Unfortunately, you, you get to a certain point that, um, you know, somebody has to, to stop and, and kind of change their mindset a little bit and, and look at things with an open mind and say, we need to see that we need each other to be successful. We can't, we can't keep operating as three individual businesses within one store. It doesn't, doesn't work. Well, and, and exactly what you and I are doing right now, that's, that's the only reason I wanted to do this sort of a podcast is because mm-hmm. not because I was going to reach out to a guy that's in the car business, right. And have that conversation. I didn't know you, right. It, it, right. But, but the idea that, you know, we can have this conversation and throughout mm-hmm. the conversation, maybe somebody picked up one little thing that they now, are going to be on a mission to implement at, at their, you know, that their dealership they're working at. That's yeah. kind of why I wanted to do this. And it's, uh, you know, I mean, it's cool. We, it's cool. Uh, we, we can all make our lives a whole lot easier if we just, you know, try to find a way to, to serve the customer better, make that experience better. You know, we can all hopefully we, make as, our careers. As we realize it, it it's got to be about the customer and not about us. Yep. You know, yep. and I think that's the biggest that's the biggest lesson that that all of us had to learn when we got into the business. We got into something because we loved it. And then we realized that, you know, this is what we do for work. And it's not about us anymore. It's about mm-hmm. the people that want to come in and spend their money with us. Yep. You know, and it, it takes a lot sometimes to learn that. But that's that's the biggest hurdle, I think, to to overcome. And then you could start thinking things a little bit differently. Yep. Well, I've kept you in over over an hour now, so I won't uh, I won't take any more of your time. I do want to make sure that I mention again um, anybody on here that um, 
that's into moto, you know, and, and uh, especially the uh, the previous generations of moto and did it. Yes. Um, check out old men that used to race on, on Facebook. I know for me, if I go right to the top of Facebook and just start keying it and all smashed together. It, <laughs> it is. No it spaces. Comes yeah. And I know you have a, like a little sales or not a sales portal. You have like a, I have, like a classifieds um, area or something like that where yes. guys are trading and. I do. I, the guys wanted to start, you know, selling stuff to each other. And, um, I said, why not create a marketplace page? Mm-hmm. You know, you can put stuff out. I don't, you know, whatever they offer, it's something usually has something to do with motorcycles. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's people within the group. And I've actually had a couple of dealerships, um, reach out and ask, Hey, do you mind if we put something out there? So I've got a local dealer up in Vermont that he puts out specials and he actually, <laughs> Funny thing with the group and everybody starting to get motorcycles again and ride, they always say, you know, it's Jim's fault. So <laughs> he uh, decided that he was going to offer specials. So he's got it in there that, you know, somebody comes in and wants to buy a, a, a new 450 and they mention it's Jim's fault and he's got a free work stand that he would throw into the deal, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, it's little things like that, that as we see people coming back in and wanting to buy, we're really, we're really trying to get, get, guys to just enjoy you know their heritage and their history and if they can ride again that's fantastic we'll get maybe we'll give a little shot in the arm to some of the dealers around that that you know need to sell some motorcycles and what's the do you want to name that dealership who that is uh that is ronnie's cycles up in bennington vermont and um he's doing a great thing he's actually um got all the lines with the exception of husqvarna and he's sold quite a few motorcycles already to group members and you always make sure to take pictures and post them to the group with the new customers and mentions it's Jim's fault every time. <laughs> and then you cry yourself to sleep, right? Yeah. Oh, hey, I just smile a little bit saying, man, I didn't think one guy in a goofy hashtag would have that kind of an impact. Uh-huh. Well, but, um, it's, it's there. Uh, all you got to do is tap into, uh, you know, tap into mm-hmm. the right, I don't know, frequency or whatever it is. You got to, you know, you got to be operating from the right place where you're trying to do something for the right reasons. And, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's something that other people can can jump in on. It's definitely what's happening for you. So, Absolutely. Uh, old men that used to race, check that out on Facebook. Um, anybody has any questions for uh, uh, for Jim or me? You can send them over to me at uh, dealershipfixit at gmail dot com. If I get something for Jim, I'll forward it over to him. Sounds um, great. It's something like that, where you want to something we talked about sounds interesting. You want to get more information on it? Do that. If you got questions for me in the podcast or Tell me how I've got it all wrong. Please do that. Let me know. Because <laughs> I, don't, I don't claim to have it all right. We're just having some interesting conversations, hopefully. And... We never have it all right. We just have it somewhat put together, and it uh-huh. works for us. Yeah, I'm stepping in this stream, but I'm not the same guy or the same stream. Right? <laughs> However, I'm going to get that right one of these days. Maybe the next podcast. Hey, that'll work. Well, cool. Hopefully, I'll get you on another time. We'll expand on some of this stuff. And uh, sure. I appreciate you jumping on. This has been the Dealership Fix-It Podcast, episode, episode number 10. Jim Boshin on with me. Um, and uh, check him out on Facebook and uh, let me know what we can do for you. Otherwise, hope to see you on the next one. And please share this with anybody that uh, you think can benefit from it. Thanks. Hey there, it's Brian with the Dealership Fix-It Podcast. Thanks for listening. 
This is episode number 14, and tonight's podcast is, I've got a guy named Ryan McPherson on. Ryan's in uh, Denton, Texas area. I saw him on Instagram, and we know some of the same people. Um, I saw him, he's doing some really interesting things. He's, he's, uh, he's kind of branding himself within his store that he works at. <clears throat> I know some places don't kind of encourage that, but uh, I want to pull the veil back a little bit and have a guy who does that explain uh, what the uh, the ownership lets him do, what he sees the benefit as, and, and kind of how he does it, where he, how he plans to do these sort of uh, Instagram videos about products and engages with customers new and, uh, and existing for him. So <clears throat> I think that'll have some good insights for anybody that is looking at, well, geez, how do we hire, you know, young, talented folks that, you know, we can train to, to be good uh, parts folks or service folks or sales or whatever. That's one side of it. And, and also, if, you know, if you're somebody either in the business and you want to learn some new tricks um, or you're thinking about getting in the business, this might be a good example. Come in with some fresh perspective from somebody that's doing it differently and I think having some really good success in it. So, um, we got a short uh, commercial break coming up and then we'll jump in with Ryan. So, uh, buckle up. Thanks for listening.